Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Okay, so uh, that clip you saw, Miss Congeniality, that's from. Um, what's your perfect date? Um, now, you could say she answered the question. You know, whatever it was, was it 26th of a- 25th of April? So it's not too hot and not too cold and you only have to wear a light jacket. Um... But did she get the point of the question? See, whatever answer we have to the question, if we miss the point of the question, we're actually not helping ourselves to move forward within what the question is is actually all about. So we're going to pursue that through a little bit um, this morning. And there's a little something wrote here that I want to read to you in a second. But let me just refer back to last Sunday evening, which seems months ago, to be honest. Can you believe it It was only last Sunday, the Euro finals? Last Sunday, just seems ages ago. But what you witnessed at work, I was very impressed with, and uh, what you witnessed was the power of a wounded healer. If you watch Gareth Southgate's first response to what one might say was our failure to convert the penalty opportunities that we had. He immediately went to the boys who had missed their penalties and poured love and acceptance all over them. Now, the reason that Gareth Southcake could do that better than anybody else in the England camp was, of course, in Euro 96. He was the villain, vilified, for missing a penalty that cost us a place in Euro 96. And so he knew the pain, he knew the heartache, he knew what was coming, and so the wounded healer brought some healing to the wounded. And uh, I could put it this way, he tasted death for every man in the squad. So imagine... If in the 96, Euro 96, imagine if Gareth Southgate Southgate deliberately missed his penalty in view of the fact that there would be people who would miss their penalty in future and he wanted to be a wounded healer that could heal the pain of those who didn't intend to miss their penalty but did. Now, I don't think he did that, and I wouldn't put that out online, because if you start suggesting he deliberately missed it. But what's interesting is that that, that there's a verse in the book of Hebrews in the Bible, chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but we see Jesus suffering death, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everybody. The truth about the story of Jesus is not the highly redemptive one that we have been fed to do with an angry God, but it's more to do with the wounded healer willingly missing the penalty, 
willingly partaking in human suffering, willingly taking death upon himself, that he, by the grace of God, tasting that could be the comfort, the help, the allegiant, the advisor, the lover that we need. So this is what, what we read that kind of triggered Chris and I to pursue uh, this, this thought this morning. So I didn't write this, but I'm going to read you what was written. Well, that was the night that, was, that so very nearly was. Reflecting on last night's game, I woke this morning thinking that the point is not that we miss the penalties. The penalty is missing the point. And the point here is that there are no villains, only heroes. Three brave young lions who were prepared to risk it all to bring joy to our nation. We would have loved them if they'd have scored for us. And how many of you know if they'd scored, we'd think, we've scored. How many we say, we've scored, see, for us. We count ourselves as one, but it says we need to love them even more because they missed as us. So when we missed, when they missed, we missed. That, if anything, is a wonderful picture of the story of what the Jesus message is all about. He scores for us, and he, missed, he, he misses as us. Let us not be an army that shoots its wounded. I've spent a lifetime in the church and watched that. Yes, we lost the game, but let us not lose the lesson. See, the problem with missing the point is not so much the point we missed, but the trajectory that missing the point now sets us on. I personally now believe even stronger than ever that we've been guilty in the church world of consistently missing the point, whether that's seriously or mildly, it establishes a trajectory that takes us places in our thinking, understanding, and structuring that we should never have gone. And in my view, it has compromised the full beauty of the gospel that we claim. And so I read this this week. It's an old thing I've had before, but it popped up on my screen, and I think it's great. Listen to this word of wisdom about getting the point. Kindly let me help you or you'll drown, said the monkey, putting the fish safely in a tree. We cut the Edwin a bit. Thought it might be too much for you on a sunny morning. That, uh, the clip's taken from Chicken Run, which uh, is a spoof of the 1963 film, The Great Escape with Steve McQueen. Some of us remember that far back. Of course, it's based around a wartime prisoner of war camp. The whole Great Escape movie is about prisoners of war who, against all the odds, managed to escape from the prison camp. But uh, this whole thing of chickens, most chickens are not free range. I don't know if you know that. They are cage-free at best, which is a bit like the chickens here on Chicken Run. that They get to wander, but in an enclosed... Area. Battery hens at worst. You know what battery hens are? They're all in, they're all in cages and they're just fed until the fat. And, uh, and then, yeah, they pay the ultimate price for your KFC. <laughs> 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 
Now, if you, if you told me about 30 years ago that I'd be stood here talking on a Sunday morning about chickens in a mock prisoner of war camp, I'd, I'd have thought you were stupid. But I love these parables. I love these stories. And I am very, very comfortable with the understanding that Jesus' stories that he used to people weren't picked out of the Bible because there wasn't the Bible There were stories coming out of his heart and his spirit that related and connected to people where they were to bring life and to bring the life of God. So, yeah, so I would never have thought it, but there you go. Anyway, poor Babs. There's always one Babs. I sometimes fear I live in a world full of Babs. And if you want to know it from the other week, Grug's from the Crudes. Remember, all Grug could tell at the, the end of every Grug story was, and died. See, poor old Babs never really got what was going on and possibly never would, no matter how much information you give her. And that's what makes me worry we've got a lot of Babs. Now, there's genuine ignorance, but there's also chosen ignorance. And I think the problem is, in respect to missing the point, very often when it gets uncomfortable, we elect to have a chosen ignorance. I don't wish to get involved. I don't wish to hear that. If I listen to that, it makes me have to think about things differently and it's making life too difficult. So we have a chosen ignorance and we become a little bit like Babs because Ginger hadn't been on holiday. Ginger had been put in solitary confinement and when she said it's nice to get a bit of time to yourself, it showed a total misunderstanding of the point. And when finally Edwina was taken at the end, Edwina wasn't going on holiday, in case you didn't catch the point. Now, what you may not know, but I found very interesting to discover, is that eight out of ten people in the Roman Empire were slaves in one form or another. Now, not everybody was locked up like battery hens in confinement. Not everybody was being beaten and mistreated. But eight out of ten people in the Roman Empire were not Roman and were slaves to the empire. And if you were compliant, it made it a little easier. If you raised a complaint, it made it more difficult. But when you look at the Romans' record on crucifixion, you realise the kind of regime that the world was under and that for our known Western world moving into the East, eight out of ten people were actually slaves. And it would be easy to forget and it would be easy to ignore and it would be easy to take upon oneself a chosen ignorance. But the truth is we were slaves. It's no wonder then to me that a message that gave acceptance, value and meaning to those slaves, women and all people was so readily accepted. You wonder why the gospel as we knew it about Jesus spread across the known world at that time and into that empire? It's because they were slaves and they were women and they were unaccepted and this gospel said you're accepted, you're loved, you're equal, you're one, you're forgiven. I could say exactly the same about religion in the world, in Jesus' world at that time. Eight out of ten people were slaves to a religious system that was just as binding and just as destructive and just as unhelpful as being a slave to the Roman Empire. See, the the point of Jesus 
was not a revamped religion. It wasn't. Most of us have been fed, and part of my life's journey at this time, for the years I've got left, is to deal with that. We actually think Jesus' point was a revamped religion. He took the, the religion of Judaism and temple worship and then revamped it, so now we just have Jesus. But he never came to revamp a religion. The point of Jesus was to bring a new way of seeing everything. And how you know when you've met the Jesus of history and the Jesus of the Bible is all of a sudden you begin to develop a new way of seeing everything. Not just biblical doctrine, not just church practice, not just liturgy, but everything from COVID to Brexit to political parties to racial inequalities. You have a different way of seeing everything. That's the point of Jesus. That's why he was dropped into history when he's dropped into history to show us that what we need to get is the point that there is a new way of seeing everything. And that happened in the midst of the repressive regime of the Romans and the repressive regime of the scribes and the Pharisees and every other religious group dotted across the known world at that time. Jesus did not come to reform a religion but to free us from all life-destroying forms of religion. See, Jesus knew the Jews had missed the point. Now, I can get in a lot of trouble for this. No doubt there'll be some comments when we put this out online. But Jesus knew the Jews had missed the point. They had taken what began as a wonderful story of a different way to see the world through the eyes of Abraham and others, and now they've made it into an institutionalized religion where sacrifice and punishment and threat and expectation and weighty demands had all overtaken it. So if you look at the story of Jesus' life, you will find he never goes at anybody who, who the church would call a sinner. He goes after the ones who would call the sinner a sinner and says, listen, I've got a problem with you. Now the church flipped that on its head and said, he doesn't have a problem with us, he has a problem with them. But the finger of Jesus was all point, always pointed firmly at the religious. And we have to be careful because it's very easy to trip off the tongue and say, oh, but we're not religious, we're in a relationship with the Lord. But it's by their fruits you will know them. Jesus knew the Jews had missed the point. That's why he brought the message he brought. And the Apostle Paul, you know the Apostle Paul was, wrote most of the New Testament. Paul felt that the Apostles had missed the point. That's those who were Jesus' disciples and now taken the lead of this thing that had begun that we now call the church. Paul felt that the apostles had missed the point and saw the danger that those under their influence might miss not only the point, but the main point of the point. Because now he's dealing with the fact that it's interesting that immediately they start to try and integrate Jewish ideas of appeasing God into the revelation of Jesus, which is saying God doesn't need to be appeased. I've come to bring you a different way of seeing everything. Paul introduced a word, and this might 
stagger some of you. Not a lot, but it might. Paul introduced a word that Jesus never used in order to try and prevent this thing called good news from becoming just news. See, if, if the gospel is God's angry and he must be appeased and you'll be rewarded for doing good, punished for doing bad, that's not good news, that's just news. Heard that since the beginning of time. So Paul introduces this word that Jesus never used in order to try and prevent this thing called good news, gospel, from becoming just news and then, uh, and then in that case being not really extraordinary, which it actually is. Just about every existing religion had some form of throw the virgin in the volcano element to appease the gods. Now let me tell you, the worst of Christianity is this. Jesus simply becomes our pure virgin male person thrown into the volcano of death and God's wrath to appease the gods. So please, if that's your gospel, don't tell me it's special. Don't tell me it's good news. Don't tell me it's different just because you have Jesus, whether it's a virgin or Jesus. If your concept is you have to throw somebody into the volcano to appease the anger of God, then Christianity is no different at all to any other religion, whatever you might say. The Christ story, unfortunately, has been and was being pushed that way. That word, the word I was talking about that Paul introduced that Jesus never used is the word grace, which in Greek is the word charis. The word charis in Greek means gift. Jesus never used it. Paul used it all the time because he was coming to the understanding that we are not competitors in the competition to secure some elusive divine favor, but we are beneficiaries of a favor already present and pushing against the damn walls we built with our defective beliefs, pushing against it. So that favor that he's in can begin to flow out. He got the point and changed the trajectory. Paul, Paul talked not about God revealing his son to him. You'll read this in Galatians 1 verse 16. But God revealing his son in him, which is a very different thing. Nobody had been saying that, but Paul says, no, it's not being the, the son, Christ, being revealed to you. It's Christ being revealed in you. He also, from that, refused, when he got that revelation, to go up to the apostles in Jerusalem he spent three and a half years in Arabia because he was worried that if he, put that, if he made that subject to this system, the system would take it and shape it into whatever the system wants you to believe. And that's what the system will always do with truth. Their Judaistic traditions were already tightening around Jesus' message, ready to squeeze the life out of it until it looked pretty much like the comfortable thing they'd already known. The great switch that Paul was pushing in his words were from law to grace. That was what he used because that was the significant terminology at that time. From the law of Moses, the restrictions of religious law, to the grace, the gift of God in Christ. And he was differentiating between belief or faith in the gospel and the faith of the gospel. Reveal Christ in me and now I live the faith of the gospel, not belief in the gospel. Belief in always takes you back to some kind of law. Yeah. 
It will line you up on the parade ground of your existing prison camp in some form of manufactured order that grabs your attention and keeps you busy while doing nothing to empower you to fly. And the whole point of Chicken Run was being empowered to fly. The faith of always moves forward in the current of a never-ending flow. I've had that kind of a word experience a few times in my life. What, what I love about this, I think it, it's, it's just great for lining up with what really is the understanding of the gospel, turning over the trough. Do you know, in three of the gospels, there is the record of a story where Jesus goes into the temple grounds at the time of the feast. And uh, it makes a lash of, of cords, not to whip people, I don't know whether he was trying to scare him, whatever he was doing, but that's what the record says. But the issue is then, he says, he turned over the tables of the money changers, the people who were selling easy-to-get sacrifices and requirements. And um, uh, it, it was that Jesus desperately wanted them to get the point that they'd missed the point. That they were trying to do stuff, buy stuff, work stuff, serve stuff, achieve stuff in order to have acceptance in the temple where the whole system says God is separate to you. There is a curtain that keeps you away. God really doesn't want anything to do with you, but he'll accept your sacrifices so that in the end he doesn't have to destroy you. What kind of God is that? What kind of gospel is that? And yet this has been masqueraded and masked. And I'm sorry, I won't have it. I'm talking about it. I'm talking against it. I'm speaking out. Beware the trough. Beware the trough. See, systems with agendas are always trying to feed you something for their own ends. That's, that's institutions, it's Christian institutions, it's every other kind of institution, it's political institutions... It's bureaucrats, it's powers, always trying to feed you something for their own ends because they know that you'll dive into the chicken feed. So I have a word from the Lord for you. It's in Mosiah 17 verse 49. Be a picky pecker. Be a picky pecker. Don't dive in to what's put there to pull you in and draw you away from the purpose that you really have in order that other people might feel powerful and provided for. See, feeding them what they wanted to hear, let's put that in there, feeding them what they wanted to hear is a ploy to keep them captive in ways that don't always or normally look like captivity. And I'm wise to those tricks. When actually it was a precursor to slaughter, not freedom. Feeding their attraction to dependence. You know, one of our great problems at the moment in our nation of knowing what to do is that humanity, or the greater part of humanity, thrives best at being told what to do. 
And we don't like to admit it because we see ourselves as being free-minded people who make free choices. Well, let me tell you something. You'll buy what the advertising puts in your brain and says that you need to buy because it places in you a need or a fear of missing out. And everything that happens, you must beware of because any institutionalized thing will always feed you in a way that gives you, makes you feel that you're not in captivity when you are in captivity, and that's because ultimately you begin to hear what you want to hear. And we're in a difficult time in our nation. Won't say much about that. But a difficult time because in reality, most people would rather be told what to do than be taught how to think. So it's feeding their attraction to dependence. Escape would be the result of not independence, but interdependence. Because you see, the opposite to dependence, if you want life, is not independence. Now, here's the problem we get. When we preach a message of freedom, when we set the chickens out from being hens in captivity, the problem is then what rises up in us is a spirit of independence. Independence will put you back in the same place that you were before you got out. Interdependence is when you realize, I could not do this on my own. I did not do this on my own. I can't cope on my own. I need connection. I need connection with how I understand who God is. I need connection with the Christ spirit. I need connection with Trinity working within me. I need connection with people with friends. I need connection, can't do this on my own. So what we need is interdependence, not independence, if we're going to do the escape. So beware you're not troughing on chicken feed, to use that as a metaphor for all the stuff that gets poured in that we're supposed to devour, that actually does not have the purpose that you think that it has. So let me bring this through to a close. Rocky, who's the American guy, who's a free, he's a free-range chicken, he flew in. Rocky tells the crowd that she, Ginger, didn't mean that. When she said they're fattening us up because they're going to kill us. And how many times do people want to step in when you speak words that are quite forthright and song and say to others, well, I'm sure he didn't mean that. I'm sure she didn't mean that. And that's what's happened to many of the words of Jesus. I'm sure he didn't mean that. Isn't it interesting that everybody, particularly in America, but other people here, lift high the Ten Commandments and not remember that Jesus' message was the Sermon on the Mount. It was nothing about what you should do, it was about who you should be, but what we do when we distort and miss the point, we make it all about what you should do and must do, rather than who you have been made to be. So Rocky says to Ginger, you've got to lighten up. I've had that said to me a few times. Ginger says, over here, the rule is always tell the truth. Rocky, that's been working like a real charm, hasn't it? If you want them to perform well, 
tell them what they want to hear. That right there is the ethos of most expressions of Christianity. That's the key to church growth. If you want them to perform well, tell them what they want to hear. Ginger says you mean lie. Because I have to tell you, most of us have not been told the truth about most of what we've been given as truth. And when you know the truth, something happens because Jesus said it will actually make you free. It will disrupt the nature of your misplaced beliefs and it will free you into the flow of faith. But it's not comfortable. So Rocky says, you know what your problem is? You're difficult. (laughs) Ginger, why? Because I'm honest. I might appear difficult about some things, but it's coming from a root of I just want to be honest. Just want to speak from integrity. Because Ginger says, because I care about what happens to all of them. And I care about what happens to all of you. And if she were to carry on, it would be, I want them to realize that grace and peace and favor rests on them. And it will give them the momentum to clear the prison's outer perimeter and turn them from battery hens and cage-free hens to free-range chickens. I want you to be free-range chickens. In Jesus' name. Free-range Clearing the boundary fences that have been put around you that have given a sense of freedom but are not true freedom. Now, having said that, I want you to be free-range chickens, but free-range chickens also come home to roost at night. So there's still something that happens in true free-range chickens. They still come home to roost. They don't just independently leave. They're free to live and they're free to love and they're free to do what they do. But they come home to roost at night because they know where home is. So the point of the purpose of you... What's the point? What's the purpose of you? I I, I like the words John Shelby Spong used here. Says the purpose of you is to live fully and love wastefully. That's why we want you free from the prison camp of religion, which is all based on expectation and performance rather than living and loving. I've always found this uh, particular verse interesting in this just through to one last statement. Paul wrote to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 is where it's written, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now think about that. Think about that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Why not just say, Christ has set us free? That would be sufficient unless you've understood that people can be free but still in chains. That people can be free, but still not realize that they are in the chicken coop. They can be free, but still not realize they're in the prison camp. So Paul wisely picks it up and says, remember, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. In other words, we have to have the full expression of that freedom flow that's come to us through Christ so that we can clear that boundary fence and we can live like free-range chickens in Jesus' name. 
It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In our words, don't go back to where you were before because we ain't going back to where we were before. Now, I love something Richard Rohr says, and I'll finish on this. Richard Rohr poses an issue of explaining God that appeals to me, and maybe you find some life. Because when we get the revelation of this, there are three things we understand God in us, God with us, and God as us. That's where true freedom lies. Understanding God in us, God with us, and God as us. An ever-present reality that manifests in an external world that understands and shares the facts of who we are. That's the true freedom. That's what was being driven at here. And that's what it means to not miss the point. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest. <laughs>